All right. Welcome to If Disney Ran Your Children's Ministry. I am Pastor Mickey Christopher. Um, I am originally from here. I was the children's pastor at Dayspring Church in Bowling Green, and then God in his mercy, yes, that's what? That's where you live is in Bowling Green? Where do you live in Bowling Green? Oh, okay. I know right where that is. But God in his mercy pulled me out of the cold and took me to Faith Assembly of God in Somerville, South Carolina. Faith is a very large 10 campus church. My office is at the main campus. I get to work with pastors from eight of the campuses. The other two, one is a Spanish-speaking campus, and I don't speak Spanish, and the other is a maximum security men's prison. There are not too many children there. So it's an, it's an incredible, incredible place to work, though. Um, let's see if I can get my things going. All right. Why Disney? We are Pentecostal, spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-guided. We don't do magic. We don't do pixie dust. We don't do fairies. Why would I ask you to consider letting Disney run your children's ministry? Hmm. This is going to be interesting. I told y'all technology and I don't get along. Because 52.5 million people every year go through their gates. Why would they do that? What is Disney doing that we're missing? We have churches that are having a hard time getting anybody through the doors. Disney brings you in, fills you with fantasy, and sends you back out. There's no everlasting value to what you get from them. We have the greatest story ever told bar none, period. Do you agree with that? Mm -hmm. Why is it that 52.5 million people are going to see Disney every year and we're having a hard time getting people in the doors? What are we missing? What are they doing that we're missing? Two years ago, we had general counsel in Orlando. Bless you. And my daughter Stephanie went with me and we decided to go to Disney, to Magic Kingdom one day, and it wasn't just for fun. We went to do some research. We wanted to know why this is happening. So we went in and we went through all of the things and we noticed as we're driving in, there's the massive Mickey Mouse sign that says, welcome to the happiest place on earth. And then you get inside and you pull in the parking lot and they take you straight to the tram and as soon as you get on the tram there are voices telling you about all the wonderful things that are going to happen you get to security even the security guards make you feel amazing and then you get through and you walk into the park <coughs> excuse me and it opens up to main street and the train station and all the gorgeousness is that why people go to disney Stephanie and I walked around and we looked at some amazing things and we rode some really fun rides and then we went and got something to eat. When we finished eating, we ate at an outdoor cafe. Stephanie stood up to pick up her tray and tripped and she fell and her tray hit the ground and stuff went everywhere. Before I could react to go ask for help, two mouseketeers or whatever they're called 
were at Stephanie's side. One was helping her up and making sure she was okay. The other was cleaning up the mess. And within a minute, you would never know anything had ever happened. They were that fast and that on it. They were paying that much attention. Four years ago, maybe more, we took our fine arts team from Finley to Disney. Orlando was where Fine Arts Nationals was. Two of my kids, y'all know fine arts kids, they are weird. <laughs> they're awesome, but they're weird. They are five-year-olds in 16-year-old bodies. Two of my kids really wanted to dress like Disney characters to go to Disney Springs. So we had a girl who dressed like Rapunzel and a boy who dressed like Flynn. These people are seriously into costumes. One of them is making a living doing it now. She looked like Rapunzel, and he looked like Flynn. He even let the little stubble grow so that he had that shadow thing going on when we got there. We walked into Disney Springs, and as we're walking through the gate, we noticed two guys in black polo shirts with the little Mickey Mouse emblem on their chest that said, Disney Springs Security. And they came to us, and these guys were awesome. They talked about how cool their costumes were and how amazing they looked, and that they loved that they wanted to dress up like characters to come and enjoy the park. But they looked too much like the characters, and their job as security, get this, is to protect the children in the park. And when strangers come in who look like Disney characters, who could lure the children out of the park, they have a problem with that. Even if they're 16-year-old teenagers who are there on a church trip. So we had escorts the whole time we were in the park. They were told they were not allowed to talk to any kids. They were not allowed to take pictures. They were definitely not allowed to sign autographs. And they stayed with us. They gave us our space. They let us enjoy ourselves. But they were right with us the whole time we were there. How careful are we about protecting the kids that we have in our churches? I've got one more story to tell you. When my daughter, Stephanie, the one that went with me, turned six, my mother-in-law decided to give us a gift. She took our family to Disney for Stephanie's birthday. She arranged a character breakfast, and we had Pooh and Mary Poppins and the Mad Hatter. Stephanie loves Alice in Wonderland. So the Mad Hatter comes over, and he sits down with her, and he's talking about his teapot ride, and does she like tea? And my family are tea snobs, I'll just tell you now. <coughs> we had a great breakfast. And then we left, and before we left, they gave Stephanie a button the size of a dinner plate that just about covered her chest that said, today is my birthday. Everywhere we went, characters were coming out of their places and coming over and talking to her. They took pictures with her. They did all the things. It was amazing. So then we went to a parade. Now, remember that Disney is a huge place, and they have 10 to 15 people playing the same character all over the park. It's not the same guy everywhere. So we're standing here, and we're waiting for the parade to start, and we put Stephanie and Cassie in front of us so that they could see what was going on. <coughs> the Alice in Wonderland crew comes down the street, and guess what happens? 
the Mad Hatter saw Stephanie, and I'm thinking, oh, no, it's probably not the same guy she had breakfast with. He sees her button. He's going to come over, and he's going to talk to her, and, and hopefully she doesn't ask him any questions about what they talked about this morning because Stephanie likes to ask questions. She's 25 now. It has not changed. But anyway, Stephanie and Cassie are here, and he was introduced to both of them at breakfast. It was the same Mad Hatter. He came over, took Stephanie's hands, brought Alice with him, introduced Alice to Cassie by name, talked to Stephanie, asked her if she had ridden the teapot ride yet, and did she like it, and did she see any of his friends while she was there, took my kids out, danced around with them in the parade for a minute, and brought them back to me. Do we pay that much attention to the children that are in our services? I mean, this guy met my Cassie for 10 minutes that morning, and most of his attention was on Stephanie because it was her birthday. And yet he introduced her to Alice by name. Can we do that? Can we say that we do that? Now, I want to ask you, how many of you have ever been to Disney World? Disneyland, Epcot, oh, wow. All right, I am in the right crew. Let me see, where's my pen? If you had a really special something happen while you were at Disney, just in one or two words, can you tell me what it was? Raise your hand and... Okay, we had 50 people in this room who went to Disney. Nobody had fun? Yes. Okay. Anybody else? Interactive attractions. I like that one. We're going to come back to that one. Anybody else? Aha! Anybody else? Okay. Oh my goodness! You cried? Oh my goodness. The night before we, sorry? The parades? What I like about the parades is P-A-R-A-D-E-S. There we go. It doesn't look like it, but that's close enough. Their parades are actually interactive. They come and get kids out of the streets and take them in. I mean, Cassie and Stephanie were not the only kids that they pulled out into that parade that day. Anything else? Anybody else? Oh, man, is that how you broke your foot? You were wearing the shoe? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a very good question. Should we be concerned? Anybody else? C 
eat. Now, y'all are preaching my sermon. You've got to stop talking. <laughs> You're preaching my sermon, Kathy. You've got to shh. You get wet. <laughs> Honey, you don't have to leave. I'm just messing with you. But she's right. She's right. So we've got all of these things, all of these. I hate that this has to be way over here, but there are windows, and I didn't think it would be a good idea to stick it there. Um, a birthday party with the princess. Imagine being a little girl. Oh, my goodness. Now, Stephanie would have loved if Belle had shown up at our party instead of the Mad Hatter, but, you know, we take what we can get. Interactive attractions, fun in line. I want to get back to that one in just a minute. I'm going to ask you guys, and I'm going to give you a minute to think about it. When your kids show up for church in the morning, and they show up, and it's 15 minutes until everything starts, what are they doing? What are you giving them to do while they're waiting in line? Um, dinner with the characters. When's the last time you as their kids pastor went to see them? Not necessarily for dinner, but to go watch them in a play. Now, obviously, for the last year, we haven't been able to do any of this. Pardon? Send them a card. Right, absolutely. Oh, yeah, they do. And especially if it comes from us. What I'm finding as I go from church to church to church is that for the kids, we are kind of minor celebrities. And when we show up at their stuff, it's a huge deal. Um, the parades. We don't do parades at church. <laughs> but what about our services? Are our services interactive? Are we drawing them in? Are we including the kids in what's happening? Or do we enjoy the sound of our voice so much that we just stand up there and ramble on? And the last one, the prince gave a da her daughter a slipper. I absolutely love that. Oh, my goodness. Now, let me ask you guys, in, in connection with that, I love what you said. You sent kids cards. I send kids and workers cards every week. I choose two of each, and I handwrite them a card. They get those cards, and man, the next week, it's amazing, the reactions that I get. I came in, it's been less than a month ago, and one of the little girls in my church was sitting there, and she's one of those little girls that mommy dresses her like a princess every week. She's absolutely beautiful, and she comes in, and she worships with every fiber of her being, and she answers all the questions, and she listens to the story, and she's obedient, and she's kind, and she's sweet, and everybody loves her. And this particular Sunday, she was sitting in the front row, praise and worship was going on, and she's just sitting with her little head down. And so I went down, and I said, Noel, honey, are you okay? And she looked up at me, and she was doing everything she could not to cry. And I said, baby, what's going on? Charleston is a military town, and we have Navy and Army and Air Force all over the place. And she looked at me in her own little five-year-old way. She said, my daddy had to go away, and he's under the ocean in Georgia, and I don't know where Georgia is, and I can't see him for six months, and I don't know how long six months is, and I'm scared. Oh, my word. So as soon as worship was over, we took Noel up front, and then we found out that several other kids' dads were deployed too, 
and we brought them all up front and we got all of those kids up and we circled around them and we prayed for them and we prayed for their parents and we prayed for everybody in their families, their brothers and their sisters. And when it was finished and they went back to their chairs, guess who was on my card list? I sent her a card and I told her that when I was a little girl, I was my daddy was in the Navy. And I remember how scary it was to know that he was going to be gone for six months. And that does feel like a long time. And that I would be praying for her and her mom and her sisters. The next Sunday, her mom came in and she kneeled down and she said, Noel, there she is. She went, oh. And Noel came running to me. Now, I haven't been there that long. And this is a fairly new family at the church. And she did not connect Pastor Mickey on the card with Pastor Mickey the person. And when she realized that it was me that wrote the card that she got in the mail, she ran up to me and wrapped her arms around my legs and just cried. We don't need to have a budget like Disney to bless people like Disney. That card meant as much to that little girl as your glass slipper, I'm sure. Those are things that we can do, ways that we can do things that line up with what Disney's doing. But now, it's not just that. So what are we missing? Is it the scenery? You walk in that place, and it blows you away. You walk into the park, and there's Main Street and the storefronts. And I'm sorry, but who sculpts all of their shrubs to look like mice? I personally don't want mice in my yard. But they have everything down to the T in place. What are we doing in our facilities to make them feel warm and welcoming and exciting for the kids? And I'm telling you, you do not have to have a budget like Disney to make that happen. When I got to Faith, my boss warned me before we walked into the area that I was going to be working in. He said, before you got here, we had brought in a design team about 10 years ago, and they had jungle theme everywhere. But after 10 years of living in the south, there's a lot of dust in the south, the beach and the sand and all the stuff, right? Furry monkeys were starting to get kind of nasty. And the leaves were getting gross. And so they, the game plan was, in January, they went in and they ripped out all the jungle stuff. And they were working with the team to redesign the space. And then, guess what? COVID hit. COVID hit. And they had no budget. And they had no supplies. Because they were, they were in the planning place, but they didn't want the kids to get stuck from walking past the leaves and doing this and a big old cloud of poof coming out at them. So they had already ripped all of that stuff out. There were holes in the walls. It was a mess. So they went through, and the maintenance team, who are awesome, y'all love on your maintenance people, please, because they work very hard and nobody ever sees it. They went through. They patched all the holes. They made sure that everything was in good shape, and they painted the walls that color. And all of the ceilings are black. And so I walked into this area, 
where all of the walls are gray, all of the ceilings are black, and we have the industrial floors. There's an indoor playground, which is nice. And no color, and this is where I'm going to bring preschool children to learn about Jesus and to have fun. Okay. A can of paint is not that expensive, y'all. We sat down and we talked through very, very quickly what we could plan to do. We decided to bring in the theme from the curriculum. We bought white paint and blue paint and another shade of blue paint. And we went through and we, your arms will die, but it's worth it. We took one of those little narrow rollers and we rolled. And then we'd skip a little bit and we rolled. And we made the walls look like shiplap. And then we took the blue paint with those same rollers and we just made wonky lines around the windows so that it looked like window sills. And then you take a black Sharpie and you draw around what you did and you color in nail holes that look like you've nailed the boards up there. And all of a sudden, my gray, drab, scary room was alive and vibrant and the kids came in and flipped out. It was amazing and it was so much fun to do. And when we were finished, the kids knew they mattered and the parents knew their kids mattered. You don't have to have a Disney budget to make your room someplace that your kids want to be. Now, if you're in a place where you're not able to do that, at Dayspring, I shared my room with the rest of the church. It was a common area. I couldn't paint the walls. You can use banners. You can use props. Decorate your stage in the morning before church starts. It doesn't have to be complicated. Balloons bring in a ton of color. They're cheap and they're easy. And when you're done, they're easy to clean up. You walk around with a pin or you get your kids to pop them off and you throw them away or you give them to the kids to take home. It's amazing what we can do to bring that atmosphere in and to draw the kids in, make them want to walk in that room, not make them stand there and look at what might be hiding in the shadows. Right? All right, let's see. Is it the rides? This is my favorite question. How many of you, when you went to Disney, rode the rides? How much better did you know the story behind the ride after you got off the ride than you did before you got on? Some of you are nodding your heads yes. Some of you are like, eh. Understand that those rides are designed specifically to reinforce the story that they represent. And when your kids get off, you can ask them just about any question about that story. They have made it come completely alive. Not just a movie, but they've experienced it. They've been immersed in it. They've ridden through it, right? How many of us, when we design games at the end of our church service or in the middle of our church service, just use them as a time filler? Oh gosh, pastor got filled with the Holy Spirit today and he's going long. I need some extra time. Let's play four corners. We're missing a major, major opportunity when we do that. There are so many games out there and so many creative ways to take the games that we play with the kids and insert the story, the Bible story, into it so that while they're playing the game, 
they're learning the stories and they're hiding God's word in their hearts. I have one teacher who I absolutely adore, who every single game we play, when she comes to, when they reach the finish line, or if she's playing red light, green light, every time they have to stop, they have to say the Bible verse. I had one of our pastors, I can't even, there are a lot of pastors in the big church and I can't remember what he does. I'm sure he's important, but he's wonderful came into my office one morning in tears and he said Mickey my three-year-old daughter quoted scripture to me yesterday she's never done that before it was amazing we bring our kids to church so that they can find out who Jesus is and they can hide God's word in their hearts and then we just kind of buzz through it and keep on going please remember that from birth to five years of age children learn more than they will learn the rest of their lives in those five years kids church even in preschool should not be babysitting it should be exciting and fun and and draw them in and make them want to know more let's move on is it the entertainment? Oh man, I don't have to tell y'all. Disney is really good at entertainment. Yes? Yes. This would be easier if this was up higher. I have to bend over and, okay. They can tell a story like nobody's business. There is nothing that Disney does better than entertain. But let me tell you what goes into all of that entertaining. They have people who work on the sets. And even without the sets, the actors could come out and do those stories and bring them to life on a naked stage. I've seen it happen. Without costumes, without props, just the people. It's that way because they practice for hours and hours and hours before they ever set foot on that stage. Now I'm going to step on some toes, and I love y'all, and please love me when we're done. How many of us, and please know I am not throwing rocks at glass houses because I've been there too. How many of us start on Monday working on next Sunday's lesson? Okay. Sometimes. How many of us start uh, Friday or Saturday and still get it pretty good? Okay. We've got some honest people in here. Here's the kicker. How many of us read over it Sunday morning and pray we can wing it and get it right? Y'all just aren't owning up to nothing, are you? <laughs> it, exactly. It does happen, and that's a problem because kids' pastors almost always feel like we are a silo ministry and we're on our own, and we have to get it all done, and it's easier if I just do it myself than it is for me to bring other people onto my team and teach them how to do it. I know it'll be done. I know it'll be done right. It may not be perfect, but at least it's on me, and I don't have to worry about somebody else. Is anybody else in the room with me here? Yes, thank you very much. Ooh, I just coughed into their thing. I hope that doesn't freak them out. 
Now let me ask you guys, doesn't God, the God who created the universe and everything that's in it, including these beautiful, precious children that he trusts us with every week, doesn't he deserve more of our effort than a mouse in an imaginary world? We have to start thinking like that. We have to start realizing that Disney and companies like Disney are doing their level best to teach our kids anything and everything that they can get in their heads to get them as far away from church and Christ as they can. And we are the guards at the gate who unknowingly are letting it happen. We can't do that. We cannot stand back and say, oh, okay, mom and dad, you're taking her to Disney World. Y'all have fun. And I do that almost every week because I live six hours from Disney World now. Parents are going there all the time from where we live. I remind them, though, that when you finish at the end of the day and you're back in your hotel room and the kids are talking about the stories that they've read and that they've seen and that they've been immersed in, when you say your prayers with them last night, talk to them about Peter Pan and why he didn't want to be with his mom and dad. Why were the lost boys lost? Could Jesus have helped them more than Peter Pan could have? Bring God into the story. Make them know that those stories that they're learning out there are imaginary, that they're not the real deal. We make that assumption that they're going to know that, that they're going to understand that, and they don't. They're kids, and when they see that more than they see us doing this and this, guess what's really going to set in their little hearts and minds? And that means that not only do we need to be working with the kids, but we need to be working with the parents. And we need to be encouraging parents to do their devotions in front of their kids. Deuteronomy says, Share my word and speak of my word when you rise up in the morning and when you walk along the road during the day and when you lie down to go to bed at night. He's not giving us specific times of the day to study the Bible and talk to our kids. He's saying, live life through the lens of my word and make sure that your kids see that. And that's what we need to be doing. And Disney is doing an awful good job of doing it in the other direction. We've got to turn it around. There's one common denominator in all of those things. And Kathy, where are you? Yeah, put your mask on and hide from me. <coughs> huh? Yes, you can. I don't. It, I, oh, I'm being recorded. No, you have to keep your mask on. The common denominator is people. Now, there are 75 different directions that I can go with this message. But the one I want to go with this morning is the fact that Disney, when he started Disney World, did not do it as a Lone Ranger. He put together a team before he ever rose the first dollar. He got investors, and then he put together his Imagineers, 
and then they put together a plan and then they hired architects and then they went and bought land. There's an order for these things to be done in, but none of them were done by just one person. And I am here to beg you with every fiber of my being, if you have not built a team yet, it's time. COVID is ending. Thank you, Jesus. People are getting vaccinated and they're coming back to church. And they're coming back in droves because they have seen what it could look like if the world started to truly come to an end. And they've realized that we need more than TV and Netflix. My numbers are going up so fast, I can't keep up with it. And I believe with all of my heart that God is gonna let that happen everywhere. That people are gonna start coming to him in droves and we have to be ready because it's a proven fact that when parents go looking for a church, they don't look at your lead pastor, they don't look at the worship team, they don't look at the youth group, they look at us. They want to know, what do you have for my children? Because if my children are not going to be important to you, I'm going somewhere else. You can't do that by yourself. You have to have a team in place. So we're gonna talk about parameters that Disney sets for a team, but we're gonna do it through the lens of the parameters that Christ used to build his team. One of the things, let me see, where do we go? Here we go. The first thing we need to do when we create a team is we need to look at what did Jesus do? Jesus went out and the first thing he did was he gathered his three. Who were they? I'm going to put you all on the spot. Let me see if you've got the word in your heart. Who? Peter, Peter James, and John. Right. In Scripture, every time something happened, if Jesus needed to just talk to his inner circle, it was Peter, James, and John. Mine are Autumn, Stephanie, and Ashley. You've got to have that core that helps you think through things. Iron sharpens iron is in scripture for a reason. We do not have all the answers ourselves. <coughs> Mercy. We have to have a team behind us to help us even start to think through what's going on. So you do your three and you talk to your three about the things that need to be done and you hear from your three about things that need to be done. And then you need to grow from your three to your, come on, guys. How many disciples were there? Thank you. To your 12. I don't care if you're at a church this tiny. You have to have a team. The last conference that I spoke at, one of the kids' pastors raised her hand, and she said, I only have five kids. Why do I need a team? And I said, do you ever have to pee on Sunday morning? Seriously, you can't take them in the bathroom with you. Do you ever need a vacation? What do you do when you take a vacation? Do you just grab somebody else who hasn't been trained and throw them in there and say, oh, you're good with kids, here we go? A lot of people do that. A lot of churches do that, and they don't see a problem with it. There is a problem with it because we're not just babysitters. We are there to get God's word 
into their hearts, whoops, into their minds and into their hearts. And it has to move from here to here, and then we have to teach them how to use it, to put it here. And we can't do that by just grabbing somebody. I can't see your name tag. You're all wadded up there. There we go. Adam, pretend you've never been in ministry before. And I'm just going to grab you and throw you in. Let's see. My smallest classroom has 15 kids in it. They're four years old. You've never been trained to teach before. You've never been trained to do curriculum before. I need you to spend 45 minutes with those children, and nobody can be bleeding when they come out, okay? Is that how we do it? Is that how Disney would do it? No, it's not. So the first thing we have to do is pray. Before you do anything else, you need to get a notebook and a pen and your Bible and some worship music and go in your closet and shut the door and give it all to him because he loves them more than you do. And he knows how to do it way better than we ever will. And as he starts to give you inspiration, and I promise you those ideas will come, it is, it is one of the most incredible things that I have ever experienced is having God draw my kids' ministry for me. And you start writing and you write down every single thing he says, and you've been there because I see you nodding your head. She's not just nodding her head. She's got like her whole body going, <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. And you come out of that closet, and you feel refreshed, and you feel solid, and you feel like there is nothing you can't do because the Holy Spirit's leading you, and guess what? There's nothing you can't do. Through Christ, I can do all things. Philippians 4.13. Don't forget it, especially when we're doing his work. So we take that list, and we pray about the people that he's going to send us. And can I tell you that in almost 20 years of children's ministry, I have never once had to recruit one person. Ever. I have never had to go to anyone and say, can I ask you to join my kids' ministry team? When God puts somebody in my heart, I pray about it, and if it's his will, they come to me and say, I feel like God's telling me to do this. And it's incredible. I am not telling you that you will never have to talk to somebody and ask them to help you. I am telling you that he will guide you to take care of it. I had one of my... My, my, one of my three stepped down right before a training when I was in Bowling Green. And I'm like, okay, Lord, he needs time with his family, and he's got to do this, and I have to let him do this. You know what I need. I'm going to trust you to take care of it. I walked down the hall and around the corner and into the training room, and one of my teenager's moms was sitting in the back, and she's a friend of mine, and I love her, and she's been in kids' ministry forever, but she took a step back to be a grandma. And I'm learning how that feels now. It's kind of awesome. At the end of the meeting, she came up to me and she said, Pastor Mickey, I feel like God told me this morning that I needed to come and talk to you. And I said, okay, Sarah, what's up? She said, do you need help? And I told her what had just happened in the hallway, and she said, 
I would be happy to step in and do that. And she had already led our, our girls' ministry for a while, and she had led our JBQ team forever. And I knew I could trust her, and I knew she was prepared. And she stepped right in that day. We met that afternoon. And she jumped in, and she helped me run kids' ministry at Dayspring for three years until God called me out. He's got this. We just have to trust him that he knows more than we do. Sometimes that's hard to do. Sometimes it's hard to take our hands off of it. We have to hold our kids' ministries like this, not like this. Because when we hold it like this, there's no room for the Holy Spirit to get in there and do his thing. And we really want him to get in there and do his thing. Yes? So when he starts giving you names, where is it? I kind of skipped through a bunch. The first thing we need to do is talk to them and find out what their passion is. Don't look at your schedule and say, I've got a hole here and here and here, and I just need to shove you in the holes and make sure that you fit. So if you're a triangle hole or you're, you're a triangle peg and I've got a square hole, I'll just hammer you in there and make it work. That's not how God created us. He gave us all passions. He gave us all gifts and talents and special ways to do things. And if yours is anything like mine, you have a lot of places to put people. We have sound, and we have people on stage, and we have people who lead small groups. We have small group assistants. We have lighting people. We have people who are in the hallway greeting parents when they come and go. There's, and the list goes on and on and on. So when someone comes to you and says, yes, I want to be a part of your team, the first thing you need to find out is not, I've got a hole here, can I stick you in it? It's, what is your passion? What do you feel like God is calling you to do in my team? And you make them fit there. And when you create holes for people that way, it's amazing the things that God will do because you're using them the way he created them to be used. The next thing, let's see if I can make this work. Yes, it worked. After you have agreed and you're going to put them on the team, you need to put in their hot little hands a job description. It needs to be simple, but it needs to be clear. They need to know before they ever set foot in that first service, what is it that you're expecting of me? When Disney hires people, they know before they ever show up for anything exactly what it is that they're going to do. How many of you have ever volunteered for a position and you showed up going, all right, they asked me to, to help, but I have no idea what I'm doing. I guess I'll find out when I get there. Do you lose sleep over that? Yeah, absolutely. We need to give them a job description before we ever put them to work. The next thing that we need to do is make it very clear to them what their schedule will be and what the time requirements are. And a couple of things fall under time requirements. Number one, how long are they willing to serve? We ask for a minimum of one year. If you start in May, we ask you to serve until May of the next year, and then I will sit down with you and evaluate how things are going and if you want to continue. They need to know how many Sundays a month they're going to serve and what those Sundays are. So I have a first and a third and a second and a fourth team. So they serve first Sunday and third Sunday and second Sunday and fourth Sunday. 
And because we have more than one service, we encourage people to sit one, serve one. So they come to the 9 o'clock service, and then they serve at the 11 o'clock service, or vice versa. That way, your team is being fed, and you need to make sure that that happens. The next thing, the fourth thing, bless you whoever sneezed, and this one's huge, is training. It's not enough to say, I have seen Ken with kids. That man is awesome. Let's just bring him in and turn him loose. And I've seen that happen, and it's kind of scary. Not with you, Ken. But it's, it's kind of scary because they don't know what your vision is. They don't know what your children's ministry is. They don't know what your message is. And they come in, and they do what they feel like they should be doing. I had a woman on her first Sunday come in with a bag. Now, I had given her her job description, and we had done all the time requirements. The only thing we hadn't done was training. That was supposed to start that morning. She came in with one of those big shopping bags, right? I have all these ideas, and I'm going to do all of this stuff in my class, and da-da-da-da-da. And I went, wait a minute. I love your enthusiasm, and I love how excited you are, and I absolutely love your creativity. But we need it to be in these parameters. And a lot of what she had in her bag, we know, was the Holy Spirit because a lot of what was in her bag fit in those parameters. And it was awesome. But you will have people who will come in and they'll say, I'm going to do this, and it feels like they're just going to take over your kids' ministry. And you're like, why am I here? Make sure that your training happens. The training that we do happens in church on Sunday morning. First of all, we send them an email. We tell them what we expect of them, where to park, what to wear, what time to be there. And there's a picture of me in the email because at a big church, there are a lot of people I've never met, and they've never met me because I haven't been in the kids' building. So they need to know who to look for. You greet them. You take them in. You introduce them to everybody. We have huddle time before church starts. We introduce them to everybody on that particular team. And then we get started. We assign the new person to someone who is seasoned, who is doing their job. And the first Sunday, all they do is watch. And we talk about it afterwards. The second Sunday, they both do. And then we talk about it afterwards. The third Sunday, their trainer steps back and they do, and the trainer watches. And we talk about it afterwards. And then the fourth Sunday, if we feel like they're ready, we take the trainer out of the room and they have their place. By the time I turn them loose all by themselves, they know exactly what they're supposed to do. It's really kind of cool. You don't have any, any wildfire things going on, which is something we desperately want to avoid, yes? And then twice a year I have a training with the entire group to make sure that everybody understands the curriculum and the things that we've got going on. Does anyone have any questions? No? No? I just looked at my thing. I've got two more slides, but we are <laughs> we're almost at time. The last thing that I would ask you guys to do is to pray, and pray often. Give God your ministry, and remember that the Holy Spirit deserves so much more of us than a mouse in an imaginary studio. Thank you all. It's been fun.
If you have any questions, please feel free to come up and see me.